At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. So I know here we have some people who are Facebooker types, and we have some non-Facebooker types. See, some of y'all, you're like, you're like, I don't do the Facebook because that's only for old people. You know, only those older ones. I only do Instagram for me. You know, and some of you are like, man, Facebook's for those younger people. You know, I'm too old for all that. So if you're in either one of those groups and you've missed it, there's a 10-year challenge that's going on, just so you know. Like, there's a 10-year challenge. And the 10-year challenge, you're supposed to post a picture of this is what I looked like 10 years ago, and this is what I look like Today, I'm not participating because y'all pretty much look the same. I haven't changed at all. And, and so I was, um, I was just saying, that's not, that's not really news anyway. No one wants to see all that. You guys don't want to see that. I'm just the same Billy as I was 10 years ago. But here's something you'll want to know. This is really important. 10 years ago, it was actually a little bit later, September 19th of 2012. Something huge happened September 19th of 2012. Apple Maps. Oh, man. This was a game changer, at least for me. Maybe not for you, but for me. This was a game changer. Apple Maps, which makes me feel like weirdly old because it doesn't seem like a long time ago, like a whole decade. But you know what that means? We have a generation who does not know MapQuest. That's what that means. MapQuest, for some of you, here's, here's what MapQuest Back in the day, here's how we kind of had to do it. Like, we had to get on our computer, and we had to say, like, here's where I'm starting from. Here's where I'm ending from. Go. And it would give you all these directions, turn-by-turn directions. Same thing Apple Maps does, except then you had to hit print. And you had to print out all those directions. Before that, if you were going to go somewhere, you had to stop at the gas station and get you a map. And you just had to open the map and draw you a little picture of where you were going if you were wanting to waste the map. Or... If you were really high tech, you had Rand McNally Road Atlas. Raise your hand if you had the Rand McNally. That's right. Okay, half the hands in here. If you didn't notice, half the hands didn't go up. Let me explain Rand McNally. It was a book of maps. So if you were going to go, and you were, you were like awesome if you had the Rand McNally thing. So if you were going from here to Florida, you would turn to the M's. Michigan, right, because that's where you're starting, and you'd be like, okay, here's the major highway that's going to go to Florida, and then I'm going to hit the border for that state to the south, so I need to turn to that other state, O, so I'll go to O for other, that's what O is for, and so I'll go to other, and I'll work my way down through that other state, and I, that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to work my way all the way to, and you would just page by page, you'd have to flip back and forth, so you had to do some pre-planning, right, and so today, it's not like that. You guys already know I've shared this with you, but I really, I'm directionally challenged. I really, really am. And so for the first year and a half of being here, I would have to use my Apple Maps just to get home. Like I'd have to be like, where's home? And it would just tell me turn by turn how to go. Because I'm the guy that when I'm driving, anyone else do this? When I'm driving, sometimes I get lost. Even when I'm going like places where I know where I'm going. But I'm like driving, then I'll blink and I'll be like, I don't know where I'm actually at right now. And you can ask Amy, like I really do this. I'm like, I just, where am I? And she's like, no, just keep going. You're going the right way. Anyone else get lost while you're driving? Yes, you make me feel, all four of you, make me feel so much better. So good. Thank you guys for raising your hands. Yeah, we got one. I love when you don't raise your hand and yet the person sitting next to you is pointing for you. And, um, <laughs> fantastic. 
You just find new places. Yeah, Travis says, I don't get lost. I just find new places. I think, though, here's the thing, is I think sometimes we wish God was like that. I do. I think we, because we have times where we don't know exactly what to do. We have questions in life. We have decisions we have to make. We have some chaos. And sometimes I think we wish we could just pull out our phones, download an app, and God would say, you know, go left, go right, go forward with your eyes, focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I think sometimes that's what we wish would happen, but that's not the way the Lord works, is it? That brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that mature faith seeks out God's wisdom. Mature faith seeks out God's wisdom. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter 1. We started this sermon series last week. James is what's known as wisdom literature. It's called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And James does such a beautiful job of saying, this is wisdom from the Lord, and here's how you apply your faith. You see, the Lord is all-knowing. He knows everything. The word is omniscient. That's the theological word. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And so if God knows everything, which is what Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 40 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer is no one. No one taught the Lord that because he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. So if that's true, if God is all-knowing, and if it's true that we have things in life where we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do, decisions to make, chaos we're trying to sort through, relational struggles, how do we, how do we gain insight from the Lord? How do, we, how do we obtain that wisdom that God has so that we know what to do when we're facing those life circumstances? That's what today's passage is going to teach us. How do I approach an all-knowing God so that I will have the wisdom to know what to do in life's circumstances. The first thing that we're going to see is God's wisdom is received upon request. You have to ask. Let's start out in verse number 5. James 1, verse number 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So James just jumps right in and says we access God's wisdom by asking. If you're in the middle of a situation, you don't know what to do, you need to ask God. You need to ask God for wisdom. He goes on later in chapter 4, verse 2, and says you have not because you ask not. So why, why does God do it that way? Like God could have, could have come up with any kind of system. Why did he create a system where we have to ask him for wisdom? I think it's actually pretty easy. I think the answer is because God wants relationship with us. And I think so oftentimes what we do, and maybe you're not guilty of this, but I've certainly been guilty of it. I think sometimes we approach God like he's a cosmic vending machine. So our prayers become, God, here's what I want. I want A4. Give me A4. That's what I want. Or jackpot Jesus, right? I'm just going to keep throwing prayers in there and pull the lever and see if I can get out something that I wanted, right? I think that's how we approach prayer. And yet Jesus, when he's teaching us about God, how did he say we're supposed to approach God? What are we supposed to say? He said, you can go to God and you can call him Abba. You can call him Dad. You can call him Father. Our heavenly 
Father. So Jesus says when you approach God, there's a parent-child relationship that's happening. That makes sense to us, I think. See, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad. Many of you are parents. All of us are kids. And so we do understand how this works, that parents want to give good gifts to their kids. But more than giving my kid good gifts, what I want to give my kids is relationship with me. That's what I want way more than the stuff portion. I want the relationship portion. And then watch kids, how they approach adults. They have no problem asking for help, do they? Mama, I need help tying my shoes. Watch them. Dada, I need help pushing the swing. I can't get way up there all by myself. Dada, give me a push on the swing. Mama, I'm in the bathroom and it's a mess. I need some help. Right? And mamas are always the ones who get asked for that. Moms love it. That's why, right? Just going, not really. Anyway, kids understand, here's this big person next to me. And this big person is someone who loves me and who I know I can trust. Therefore, I can ask them. And James says, that's how it is with wisdom, with God. You need to ask him. Why? Because he loves you and you can trust him. You go to God and you ask. So let me just ask you, what's the big decision you're facing right now? Some of you have some big ones, some really, really big ones. Some of you right now, you're going, okay, I don't, I don't, I'm just cruising right now. Like I'm just driving down the road. Like there's no decisions. Do I exit or do I? No, I'm just cruising right now. Okay, then think about the last big decision you made. Because in this past year, we've all had major decisions we've had to make. The last major decision I just want you to think about that list of pros and cons that you may have made on the paper. I want you to think about how you talk to your life group about it. Maybe you talk to your parents about it. Maybe you talk to your friends about it. Maybe you really thought, maybe you made yourself anxious you thought about it so much. Let's compare that to how much time did you spend in prayer saying, God, will you give me wisdom? Isn't that funny? Like, it's so simple, isn't it? And yet, it's so hard for us sometimes to put into practice I think oftentimes we chase all these other areas of life trying to find wisdom. And we don't spend near as much time in prayer saying, God, I need wisdom that can only come from you. Will you, will you give me your wisdom, Lord? I need it. I need your wisdom. So if you have decisions that you're trying to make today, if you're in chaos today, if you've got relational stuff, job stuff going on, my encouragement to you is slam on the brakes and spend time asking God for wisdom. Which then brings us, how do we access the wisdom? God's wisdom is requested in faith. In faith, look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, we need to work through this because what James is not saying, James is not saying whatever you want, Whatever desire of your heart you have, you just ask in faith without doubting and God's guaranteed to give it to you. Do you just ask? And, and I say that because there's a, there's a few passages in Scripture where I believe there are people, maybe with good intentions, there are people who will take passages of Scripture out of context and they'll weaponize it in a way that hurts the church. And this is one of those. You see, there are those who will say, if you want that car, you just need to pray in faith without doubting because God wants you to have that car. You want that job with that big fat raise, you just need to pray to God without doubting. You need to have faith. He's going to give you that big fat raise. You got that family member who's sick and in the hospital, you just need to pray, not doubt. You just need to have faith and they're going to be healed. That's what, and you guys know how life works. Sometimes you don't get that job. Sometimes you don't get that car. 
Sometimes that family member dies. And there are those who will say within the church, there are those who will say it's because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough faith. That's why you didn't get the job. That's why you didn't get the car. That's why your loved one died. Your loved one died because you didn't have faith. Can I just tell you that makes my insides just clench. Very few things, really, very few things just make me really upset. And this is one of them because I, and I don't even know how to verbalize it. Is it, is it that it's abusive to the church, a spiritual abuse? Is it that it's a shame ridden kind of theology? Is it this weird prosperity kind of a theology? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but let me just clean some things up because I want you to have the tools you need. If you ever hear something like that, I want you to have the tools you need to know truth from non-truth. Go back to verse number five. How many times have you heard me say this? When you're reading scripture, don't just read a verse. Read what's before it. Read what's after it so you have the full context. We just read verse five, didn't we? Verse 5 says this is talking about wisdom. This is not talking about the hospitals. This is not talking about getting a shiny red car. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about getting a new house. It's not talking about any of that. It's talking about getting wisdom from the Lord. That's what this is about. You need to do some better Bible reading, right? I think maybe that's the frustration. It's like we're just going to take a verse instead of reading the Bible. But when you read it, what you see is you see the truth is this is all about wisdom. It's gaining wisdom when we don't know what to do. That's what this is about. And then let's talk about that doubting word, right? We need to ask in faith with no doubting. Now, that seems like it'd be real simple, but it's, it's not. Sometimes we can say the same thing, but we're understanding it differently. So if you go to the dictionary and you look up doubting, you see a couple major definitions. Doubting can mean uncertainty or it can mean to distrust. Right? Those are different. Being uncertain about something and distrusting is different. James is pressing in this area of distrusting. In fact, the word that's used in Greek is the word diakrino. Diakrino. Now, diakrino is, is pushing into the, the, the justice side of things, right? The distrust, the changing allegiances that no longer is our allegiance to the Lord, our allegiance. I talked about just a second ago, didn't I? With this list of how much time do you spend here making your list of pros and cons and asking mom and dad and reading a book about it versus how much time asking God for wisdom. Diacrino, I'm switching allegiances away from the Lord to myself, really, is where my allegiance switches. It's not the Lord who all of a sudden holds position of Lord of my life. It's me and my wants and my desires and my thoughts. Diacrino, I think the best illustration here is the Detroit Lions. I really do. So, my son Gabe, he uh, headed back to school on Friday, but last Sunday he was still here, right? So last Sunday we're watching the Lions game, and the Lions were playing their last game of the season against the Packers, and uh, Gabe all of a sudden he went to school and he loves football now, which is horrible. You know, we're just watching football all the time. It's great. So anyway, we're, we're watching the Lions play, and Gabe, seriously, this is, this is true. He looks around, almost like he wants to make sure no one's looking. That's why I'm telling all of you. And he wants to make sure no one's looking. He goes... Dad, I got to admit something. He got real quiet. I said, I leaned forward because I thought, oh, this is going to be good, whatever it is. You know, what is it, son? What's going on? He goes, Dad, something inside of me, I really want the Lions to win. And I went, <laughs> me too. Like, I, I'm rooting for them. I'm, that's why I'm wearing my Lions blue today. You know, not really. I asked Amy what I should wear, and she told me to wear this. And so, 
But I'm like, me too, son. I really want the Lions to win too. He goes, Dad, I don't know what it is. Like, it's like every game, like I'm checking the score because I really want them to do well. I, I want them to win. I'm like, yes. Are they going to do well? There's uncertainty. <laughs> right? That's uncertainty. Uncertainty. So if I ask, well, let's say you ask me right now, and I, in all sincerity, if you said, Billy, do you think the Lions will make the playoffs next year? Here's my answer. No, I really do think they could. I really think they might. Here's why. Did you see the last, some of you are like, no, I checked out. But <laughs> so if you watch the game, they're playing the Packers, and I get it. You've got like some of the major stars for the Packers are sitting out to get ready for the playoffs. Man, the Lions went out and won that game. They won so bad to win it. They were playing with everything they had. They were playing for each other, playing for their coach. Like, there was heart in that team. And I'm going, man, you take that kind of heart and you apply it to next season when all your players are healthy and all these games that you lost by three points or less, if you win those games, like, seriously, I'm like, you guys can make a good run for it. You got some great draft picks. Like, come on now. But if you said, Billy, do you, do you think they might make it to the Super Bowl? I'd go, I, w I wouldn't go that far. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking wild card team, you know. Maybe they can sneak into the playoffs. If you said, Billy, right now, do you think they'll win the Super Bowl? I, I, I don't, I, we don't need to talk about that yet. Let's just make the playoffs, right? That'd be great. Now, so that's uncertainty. That's uncertainty. Distrust is different. Some of you went way extreme. So if I asked you your thoughts on the Lions, some of you would say, okay, Billy, here's what you need to understand. You're not from Michigan, so you don't get it. You don't understand yet. Wait a lifetime and come back and talk to me because you see my whole lifetime, I was there through Billy Sims. I was there through Barry Sanders. They didn't win with Barry Sanders. Are you kidding me? So here's what I did. I don't trust them. There's no longer trust there. So I started to look around at the NFL. That's why I started to look around at all the teams in the NFL. And I said, that green's not such an ugly color. And those yellow helmets, I, I guess I could cheer for those yellow helmets. And so you ordered you one of those jerseys that said Aaron Rodgers on the back. You know, you got you one of those jerseys. And then you ordered a piece of cheese to wear it. You're looking ridiculous with cheese on my head. And you're like, I'm going to watch the, I'm going to be a cheese. I'm going to cheer for the Packers. Go, Pack, go. And you're like, because I don't trust the Lions. I'm out. Do you hear the difference? One is uncertainty. One is distrust. Distrust that leads to changing allegiances. That's what James is talking about. James is talking about a kind of doubt that leads your whole allegiance to change. And so when you pray, you're going to have uncertainty in that prayer. And what he points at is he says, it's not just your prayer life that's going to be impacted. It is everything about you. Look what he says. He says that you're like a wave tossed at sea. You're unstable in all your ways. Why? Because your foundation's not firm. Your foundation of faith is not in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's in yourself. It's in the books you're reading. It's in what your friends say. It's in what the opinion of culture is. You're constantly shifting around, being thrown all over the place. Our commitment as a church has to be laser focused on the Lord. Not what culture wants us to do. Not on what's the next big hit on here's the thought of culture. The focus that we have has to be on the Lord and the wisdom that we're asking from him for. That's where our focus has to be. And then it leads us to this last place that God's wisdom results in action. Right? If we're trusting the Lord and we're asking for his wisdom, it's going to result in action. It's our final point today. Let's look at verse 19 through 26. 
James says this. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed by his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And James is just, he's mighty direct. Uh, someone told me after the first service, they said, um, you know, it's almost like when you go to James, it's just like opening up a whole can of James. You know, he just, he just comes at you. There are 108 verses in James. 108 verses. 54 to 60 of those verses, depending on how you uh, break down the grammar. But 54 to 60 out of 108 are direct commands to the church. Direct commands to us as followers of Jesus. Here's wisdom. Now here's how you live it out. Here's how you apply it. Look what he said in verse 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In other words, if you're very quick to speak, and if you're very quick to anger, James would say you're completely missing the mark. You're not living out your calling in Christ. You're missing what it means to have a right standing with God. In fact, some of you, I'm just going to give you permission, forget everything else I say today because this is the thing you need to hear. You almost take pride in having a short fuse with a big boom. You almost love it. Like, I got a short fuse, so you better straighten up and fly right around me. You better do what you're supposed to. Can I just tell you, James says that you're missing the mark. James says that's not what you're called to. That's not who you are. He continues on and says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He's like, all that filthiness, man, you got to put that stuff away. And he uses the word meekness. I've talked about this before for those of you who have been around for a long time. Meekness, the best illustration I have is of the wind. If you go outside in the springtime, you'll get that breeze across your face, right? That gentle breeze, that just warm breeze because the snow's all melted. And you just get that warm breeze. That's a meek breeze. The wind is meek. There's more power in the wind. Go outside when the tornado sirens are going through because there's big tornadoes blowing all over the place. Down south, man, I'm telling you, you'll see places where when the tornadoes go through, it'll take a straw and drive it right through a telephone pole. It'll pick up a bus and just chuck it down the street like it's nothing, right? So that wind, there's power there. When it blows across your face so gently, that's a meek wind. This is, that's how we're supposed to approach the word, with meekness. You and I shouldn't be the people who are puffed up when we come in here and prideful and then we know something. When, when I see you on social media, just so you know, my hope for you, as you're on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook or whatever you're on, my hope is that we're approaching people with, with a meekness about us. 
There's authority and there's power in the word of God. We're not the doormat to society, but we also don't need to go around prideful and boastful either. There's meekness. Why is there meekness? Because we are receivers of the word that's able to save our souls. That is so powerful, isn't it? I want you to think about the moment that you surrendered your life to Christ. For some of you, you haven't had that moment. Maybe today is your moment. But I want you to think about everything that stirred inside of you when you really got grace, when you really got it. That's what he's talking about. There's a meekness that we have because we realize that all authority and all power is his. It's not ours. And then the real kick in the pants, verse 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. See, here's what happens. Sometimes when I'm standing out there in the hallway, people are going to come up to me and they go, man, Billy, today, today was my day. You know, when you were praying, I was praying, I surrendered my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it was awesome. And some will go back a little bit further in years and you would say, out there in the halls we're talking, you're going to say, Billy, I remember the day I was sitting on the edge of my seat and pastor said, it doesn't count unless you raise your hand up in the air. So I raised my hand up in the air because I wanted Jesus. So I put my hand up in the air. And some of you go, no, I go back further than that. The pastor would come here and we were singing just as I am. And he said, unless you come down, talk to the pastor up front, it doesn't count. So I went down front and I talked to the pastor because I wanted it to count. And that's when I surrendered my life to Jesus. And some of you would say, I remember the day that I was baptized if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, we need to talk to you because that is a step of obedience you need to take. And some of you would say, I remember that day. It was awesome. Some of you would say, I remember the day I went through the Next Step Pathway class and I signed on the dotted line and I became a member of Woodside Bible Church. My name is now on the church rolls and I'm in. And for some of you, that was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And when I ask what's happened between then and today, you get real, real quiet. Can I just tell you that's, that's an issue? Because James says we shouldn't just have a moment and then let a lifetime go by without putting feet to our faith. He says we have to be active in our faith. We don't just want to hear the word. We want to do the word. You have been saved to a new kind of life. Your whole life is supposed to change. Not just a moment of change, but a whole lifetime so that we can then join in with eternity in that change. And he goes on to say, when you don't do that, when you just hear, you're like a person who has deceived themselves. It's like when you look in a mirror and forget what you looked at. Which we understand, right? That's such an easy illustration. It's when you eat something. Let's say you had you some Chipotle for work. And um, you're at work. You're eating your lunch or Chipotle real fast. You got one of those burrito bowl things. You, you eat it up and you had extra cilantro on it. And so you're thinking, I, I need to go check my teeth in the mirror, right? And so you go in the mirror. You check your teeth. Sure enough, like half the garden's there in your teeth. You got some pepper in there. You know, I mean, you got all kinds of stuff happening. It'd be like if you just looked at yourself, you know, doing the... The thing, you know, and you, you wash your hands, you just walk, you didn't do anything about your teeth, you just walked right back out. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Or if you're on a date, like you're on a date and you got on your fancy pants, you know, and you're so excited about your date, and it'd be like if your date kept doing this to you. And you're like, why are they looking up? You know, and they're, they keep looking up, and you just start like, check, those of you who have hair, you know, you're checking your hair, trying to slick it down, you know, and you're like, what's going on? So you excuse yourself, you go to the restroom, you get to the restroom, and sure enough, there's an eyebrow that's like four times longer than the others, and it's doing their own thing. Okay, now you guys are the same as the first service. In the, in the first service, it's like all the guys who are like, yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. 
and the girls are just like, that's funny. I've seen him, you know, with the eyebrow thing. And so, so maybe for everyone else, you know, maybe it's not an eyebrow thing going rogue. Maybe it's a nose thing or maybe a teeth, whatever. James is saying, don't be the eyebrow kid. Don't do that. Don't be the nose kid. Don't be the, the teeth kid. Don't look in the mirror. Just give yourself a thumbs up and walk back out there. What sense does that make? We shouldn't just be hearing the word. We should be actively pursuing this. Verse 25, he says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, He'll be blessed in his doing. James says, in Christ we are free. In Christ we are free. You guys remember this from, from like a month ago. We have God's ways and we are off trapped in sin and death doing our own thing, right? We are trapped into sin and death. But through Christ, through Christ, all of a sudden now we become a son or a daughter of the Most High. We become free to live under the law. We become free to live under the ways of God. We get to be free to be his sons and daughters. How incredible is that? We no longer are trapped in this place of trying to do our own thing, trying to measure up our own way, trying to make up our own law, but now we can come under God's ways. There's freedom and protection under that. That's what we receive. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I, I would love to be in the room. <laughs> I would I love it. I'd love to be in the room when uh, you go up to James and you want to chat and you want to say, James, you want to know I got a potty mouth all the time? Let me tell you. The reason I talk the way I do is because that's just how guys nowadays talk. That's just how girls nowadays talk. I'd love for you to tell James that. I'd love that. I want to be there to hear his response to you. I would love to be there when you say, well, you know, at the workplace where I work, this is just how we do things. You know, it's just, it's just, it's not a thing. It's just words. It doesn't even matter. James, this is the way I grew up. Just words. It's not that big of a deal. It's just words. It's just the gym. It doesn't even matter. Whatever your environment may be, we want to make excuses, don't we? The tongue is such a small thing. And yet in scripture, we see it talked about like a rudder that can turn the course of a ship. It's your tongue that can build people up or that can tear them down. And James says, if you don't have control of your tongue, your faith, your religion is worthless. Because now all of a sudden your tongue is an obstacle to people in their faith journey. You're being used as a blockade because you can't control your mouth. You're being a blockade to the gospel. You're being used as a vehicle of the enemy. So again, if you've missed everything I've said, maybe this is your one takeaway. Maybe for you, your struggle in life is what you do with your mouth. The things that you say, the, the, the hurt that you spew with your mouth. Maybe the most powerful thing you could do today is to say, Lord, I am not bound to live this way when it comes to my tongue. I'm going to come under your ways. I want my words to be holy and pleasing to you, Lord. I want to be a vehicle of your grace, a conduit of your grace. Lord, that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do with my words and then he finally says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James says, if you want to know what it means to really exercise your faith, spend time with people who really can't give you anything in return. We kind of do that sometimes, don't we? Like we... We like, I want to hang out with you because then you'll do this for me, right? 
I want to spend time with you because then here's the result of how it'll benefit me. And James points to a place that says, oh, the orphans and the widows, they can't do anything for you. They can't give you anything. It's not about that. Just spend time being there for people even when they're hurting. And can I tell you right now, you have people in your path who are spiritual orphans. Don't you? You have people right now. There are people in your family right now. I can almost guarantee you there are people in your family who have never heard this. The Lord loves you. They've never heard that. The Lord loves you. He completely, unfiltered, loves you. Just want you to know that. There you go. I just, I just thought you should know that today. There are neighbors that you live next to. And they don't know the gospel, and yet they're watching how you live it out. There are people in your workplace or at school. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but um, Ecuador is coming. We actually nailed down the dates this week. It's coming in September. September, we're looking at heading back to Ecuador. And someone asked me already this week, they said, so Billy, what are we going to be doing in Ecuador? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, maybe we're going to build something. Maybe we won't build anything. Maybe we're just going to hang out with a bunch of kids all week. Maybe that's what we're going to do. Maybe we're going to be working alongside churches, encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ there. Maybe we're going to be working with people who live on the streets and they work in the dump all week long. Maybe that's who we're going to go love. All I know is it's not about us, is it? It's about being his ambassadors and going in the name of Christ just to love people because he loved us first. And here's the thing, church, you know this. That's September, and I'm excited for September, and I want you to get your passport. I want all of us to go. Like, let's get extra airplanes. Let's make it happen. Like, all of us, let's just go. But we can't wait till September. Church, we have opportunity today. And so what does it look like for you today to do this? What does it look like today to control your words? What does it look like today to love the orphan and the widow? What does it look like today for us to move out of our places of comfort? Because we are called to put feet to our faith. Love's a verb. Love's an action. And maybe for you, you're hearing all this and one important detail, this is all being written to the church. This is all being written to people who have placed their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe for you, faith was watching people go to church. Maybe faith was sometimes you pray. And that's the way you've thought about faith. Faith is so much more than that. Faith is this place of the allegiance being to the Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you're rescued, that you're saved, that you're saved from your sins, you're saved from eternal separation from a holy and an awesome God. Maybe today is the day that you surrender everything to him. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this high calling that you've given the church. God, so much of this, as I read through it, it's easy to understand. It's easy to understand. Don't just hear the word and then forget everything I heard and go about, on about my day. But actually do what your word says to do. That's easy to understand. So God, I pray that you forgive us. Forgive us for those times where we so quickly forget. And we start to make life about us and not about you. Because it's not about us. Your name, your renown is the desire of our hearts. 
So God, I pray for my brothers or sisters in this room that um, they are struggling because they've got some decisions in front of them and they're not sure exactly what to do. Maybe there's work stuff or relational stuff. Maybe it's stuff with family. And they're not sure exactly which direction to take. God, we give them wisdom. We show them in a crystal clear way exactly what they're supposed to do. Lord, for our Chesterfield campus, I pray for the leadership there that you continue to give wisdom and discernment this morning. That you give a peace that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who maybe is in a spot of going, I, I've never given my life to Christ. I pray that in the quiet of this space, they have the courage just between you and them right now to confess that they believe. They believe, Lord, that you love them. That their eyes are open to the fact that they've sinned. They've fallen short of perfection. They've fallen short of holy. Because God, your, your word says that the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from you forever separated. And, and we try so hard, God. We try so hard on our own to try to bridge that gap on our own and try to, to fix everything. But God, we know on our own we can't. That's why we keep trying new ways and I'll just try this harder and I'll just I'll just try to be better. So God, I, I pray for clarity in the gospel that they understand that that's why Jesus came and he lived and he died and he lived again. He lived that perfect and sinless life. He was the perfect substitution on the cross for us. He paid for our sins on the cross. Lord, I pray for that place of total surrender in these moments. For people to be able to say with hearts open, with hands up, to be able to say, God, I surrender everything to Christ today. I'm placing my faith in Christ alone as my Lord and Savior. Not just for this moment, but Lord, so that I can walk out my faith as Christ. Lord, continue to show us what it means to love you more. To love you more means to be more obedient to you. Continue to show us what it means to love others more. God, that's hard. Man, that can be so hard. And yet, we see in you someone who loves us even when we're not easy to love. So help us to love others. Lord, more than anything, we pray that you're glorified. You're glorified through our prayers. You're glorified through our worship. You're glorified through the way we encourage each other, through the way we challenge each other. Lord, we pray that you are honored and glorified by all that we are. Thank you for calling us to be your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.